0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Acts chapter 11,
1: verse 14 speaks of Paul going down to Cornelius' house because Cornelius had a vision and, and direction from God to send for Peter. And recounting the story, Peter says that Cornelius was told by the angel these things who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved in Acts chapter 5 in verse 20 after they're delivered from the jail by the angel of the Lord the angel says to Peter and John go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life Acts chapter 14 Speaking of Paul's missionary journey, he said, And there, in Lystra, they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. What did Paul speak? Words. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, the point I'm trying to get to, folks, is that the Bible says people are saved by words the people in Cornelius' household were saved by the hearing of words we know also that the Holy Ghost fell on them when, when, uh, in Acts chapter 10 when Peter went down to Cornelius' house so people are, healed, are filled with the Holy Ghost by words here in Acts chapter 14 where it talks about in his, uh, Paul's missionary journey to Lystra it says that the crippled man, the impotent man in his feet Leaped and walked because he heard Paul speak words. Words govern everything. Now I want to read some scriptures to you real quickly from some uh, several different sources, and again, this is probably where you're not going to be able to keep up. Max, Matthew chapter 12 verse 35, "A good man out of the good treasure or deposit of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure or deposit of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, Jesus said. That every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou art justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 23, it says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Now, folks, a modern-day paraphrase of that verse, and it's, it's certainly an accurate thought or premise. The Bible's telling you that most of the trouble you're going to encounter in life are going to be because you brought it on yourself. Hallelujah. Thank you for the good news. it is what it is. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. You know, James said, James chapter 3, I believe it is about verse 2, he says, the man that's able to control his tongue can control his whole body. Well, obviously, he's talking about words. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, it says, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health it's not just an Old Testament thing in First Peter chapter 3 verse 10 Peter writes to the church and says for he that will love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile loving life and seeing good days has, to do with, has everything to do with the words you speak now I want you to turn back with me to Numbers chapter 13 I hope you know what this story is it's one of the um, well I don't know if it's right to say foundational stories are are about the Bible but to me it is there are certain stories in the Bible that that are given to us that everything else seems to hang on or revolve around this is one of those Now, while you're turning, I'll remind you that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, concerning the story of creation, God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth. Well, the only thing that we know about God up until that point, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the only thing we know about God up to that point is that he's created the universe with words. So when the Bible says, that God's plan was to make us after his image and in his likeness. The original scriptures, the words themselves mean an exact duplicate in kind. The only thing we've got to go on or to understand that God made us like himself to be at that point in time is a spirit being that speaks words to exercise authority and dominion. That's all we know about God at that point when it tells us the purpose of man's creation. Now, Numbers chapter 13 tells us about How that God had brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Through many signs and wonders. There were the ten plagues in Egypt you remember. Finally Pharaoh things got so hot. And he was under such pressure after the death of his firstborn. And the death of all the firstborn males in Egypt. He finally relented and let him go. Let Israel go. But then he changed his mind. And came out after him for the purpose of destroying the whole nation of people you remember the story how that Moses parted the Red Sea and they came over on dry ground and how that the waters came back together again and drowned the Egyptian army when they followed in after them now sometime later probably two and a half years later they come to the edge of the promised land and it tells us how Moses sent spies one man from each of the twelve tribes of Israel to spy out the land to see what was there And it says that they came back. We'll start reading in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. And they returned, the 12 spies returned from the land after 40 days, from searching the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came into the land whether you sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it nevertheless the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great and moreover we saw the children of Anak there and then identifies the Amalekites the Jebusites, the Hittites the Amorites, the Canaanites throughout the land verse 30 and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, I want you to notice the the, the place of words in this story, the importance of the words that are spoken. Let me just make this comment so I make sure not to forget it. Everybody in this story, from the greatest to the least, gets exactly what they said. Every one of them. So they brought up an evil report of the land under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said, one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. We've had enough of this Moses guy. We need to find somebody that will take us back to Egypt where we were having a fine time being slaves. <laughs> then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto them and to all the country company. Of the children of Israel, saying, "The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. And if the Lord delight in us, then He'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only, only rebel ye not against the Lord; neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation." before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? Now the only thing they've done is made a decision based on what they saw and spoke about that decision. How long will, I, will these people provoke me and how long will it be before they believe me? That's all God wanted was, was for them to believe me. How long will it be before they believe me for all the signs which I have showed unto them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and make of thee, Moses, a greater nation and mightier than they. Now folks, I'm I'm not through with the story, certainly. There's more to the story than just what we've read. And I want to go into a little bit more detail about it than what we normally do. I usually just refer to this story to make a, a point about the importance of your words and Speaking words of faith and so forth, and, and that's certainly the point of the story. But I want you to notice some things. God realizes that everybody's seen the same thing. See, the difference isn't what people saw. Caleb and Joshua saw the same thing in the promised land that the, 12, that the 10 did, the majority did. He saw the walls around the city, he saw the strength of their armies. He saw everything just, they saw everything just exactly the same way as the 10 did. But they chose to speak something different than the rest of the group.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease.
0: Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: Now I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, I want you to notice at the end of the 13th chapter how that the majority, the 10 of the 12 spies, everybody except Caleb and Joshua, said it is a land that destroys the inhabitants the land will overcome us we saw ourselves as grasshoppers and that's the way that they saw us too there's something that the lord spoke to my heart just a few days ago that keeps ringing over and over and over again on the inside of me i focused a lot on stuff that the bible says about the end times the conditions of the world concerning the end because i think we're the generation that'll see jesus come back But every generation before us has thought they were the ones too. So I'm cautiously optimistic. (laughs) I want to be prepared for not being the generation that sees Jesus come. I, I can't from Scripture see how that's possible. But I want to be ready if we're not. And I think that's the way the Bible instructs us to be. Ready for Jesus to come. But continuing in the work until he gets here. Occupy until he comes. Well, one of the things that, um, that intrigued me about what the Holy Ghost said to me just this week. He said this. He said, when the devil can make you lose your objectivity, that's the first step into deception. I've never thought about it. I'm not that smart to come up with that, folks. But it's exactly the truth. Everything that happens to you, the devil tries to magnify how bad it's going to be. He tells you a headache is a brain tumor. Stub your toe real good until the nail falls off of it. He'll tell you they're going to have to amputate. (laughs) And in every situation, he always paints the worst picture. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to get you to lose your objectivity. Because it's hardly ever anything like he says it's going to be. Hardly ever. Very rarely does it turn out to be worse or as bad as he says it's going to be. But when you lose your objectivity, now the Bible gives us some scriptures to stand on that, so that we won't lose our objectivity. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The devil's all the time trying to tell you that you're a special situation. Other people may have been delivered, and other people may have seen God's word work for them, but this is different because of whatever. But the Bible says there's no temptation, test, trial, or adversity that is coming to you, but that which is common to man. The devil works the same way in everybody. That's why we can see what brought victory to people in the scriptures. And walk in that same example and experience that same victory because it's all the same the devil doesn't have anything new he's not creating new ways to destroy people he's only got one thing and that's deception but as that scripture says first corinthians 10 13 it says everything that the devil does and will do against you is common unto man but god always makes a way for you to escape the scripture from the King James says, but God will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able. What well, if we think about that, just according to that scripture and not delving a little bit deeper into the character and the nature of God, it sounds like God and the devil are working together against you. If God's not going to let you experience something more than what you're able to overcome, well, what you're able to overcome might be different than what I'm able to overcome or vice versa so it kind of paints the picture in my mind that God's got the devil on the leash like a a, a rabid dog and he'll let the devil get close enough to nip at your heels but not chew off your leg well gee thanks God that just makes me feel so close to you but that's impossible folks God and the devil are not working together And God is not controlling what the devil does against you. He's not the one that that controls that whatsoever. Well, if everything that the devil does against every one of us has a means or a way of escape, then what does that tell us about our ability to withstand temptation? Folks, that scripture is is intended. It doesn't do very well in the King James translation, but it's intended to tell you That the power of God that you have in you through the word and the name of Jesus can whip anything and overcome anything the devil has got. God's not individually looking at your situation and saying, well, okay, we need to tweak this a little bit here so that they're able to get through. You're able to get through because Jesus died for you. You're able to get through because you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You're able to get through because the word of God never fails. So God didn't have to do anything to make sure you can make it. He's already made sure that you can make it. Well, if we lose that part of our objectivity, then we can slip into deception. Well, in that case, using that verse of scripture, a lot of people seem to have the idea that God is somehow, some way, going to do something in the future, hopefully the near future. But He's got to do something, or something, some way, or somehow so that you can uh, come through victorious. And God's not going to do anything. He's already made you victorious by the Word of God. He's already made you a victor, more than a conqueror, an overcomer through the price that Jesus has already paid. Jesus is not going to shed one more drop of blood so that you can make it. But see, if you focus on things, questions that the devil brings... Like if the word was going to work, why hadn't it worked already? Then you come up with the idea that God is withholding something. Now, the church has taught us for hundreds of years that God withholds things to teach us something. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the only way God teaches us, the only way he disciplines us, the only way he trains us is through his word, not through circumstance or adversity. The Bible says God cannot tempt anybody with evil, and sickness and tragedy is evil. So God's not in that part of the the business. That's all the work of the devil, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But it's real easy, especially if you've been standing in faith for a while about something. It's real easy to come to the place where you're thinking, maybe not even consciously, but where you're thinking that God's not doing something that He should be doing. That's the place where you've lost objectivity. The fact is, the simple fact is, and the simple fact for every one of us is that there's a real devil in the world that wants to destroy you. But God's not worried about that because he knows what he put on the inside of you. He knows that if you just act on what he gave you, you'll come through victoriously. When we lose that picture of the power of God that's available to us through his word in the name of Jesus, then you'll come to the point where you start blaming God and holding him responsible for the evil that the devil's doing in your life. And that's deception. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. These ten spies lost objectivity. They started comparing themselves against the enemy. Well, that never was the issue, was it? I mean, they just experienced some pretty mi- neat miracles that shows that it wasn't them and their power that conquered the greatest army on the face of the earth, which was the Egyptian army. But they're not thinking about that. Their choice. They're choosing to think contrary to that because of the strength of the enemy that they saw. So what happens? God says to Moses, Moses, step back. I'm going to wipe these people out, and I'm going to start over with you. Now, realize what God is offering Moses. God's offering Moses to be the Abraham of his offspring. Hundreds of years before, God told Abraham, I'll make you to be the father of many nations. Your seed will be like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. So great that you can't even number them. Well, even in captivity, they've multiplied to almost 7 million people. And God says, step back. To Moses, he says, step back, Caleb and Joshua too. I'm going to wipe these people out and start over with you. That's a pretty big offer. Not to mention Moses, by that point in time, is over 80 years old. And God says, I'll let you be the source, the origin of my people. He's offering him the same thing that he offered Abraham when Abraham was 100 years old and had the child. Sarah was 90. That's exactly the same offer, folks. But I want you to notice what Moses does. Moses steps back and says, now, that would be okay, but the nations of the earth would see and hear about what you've done. And they'd say the reason that you did it, the reason that you wiped them out is because you weren't able to bring them into the fullness of the promised land. So Moses' first concern is not about himself. He doesn't stop and say, now wait a minute, let me think this through. Lord, can I sleep on it? He immediately starts up and says, that wouldn't be good for you or me, either one. The other nations of the world would say, you're not strong enough to bring to fulfillment The promise you made unto your children. And then Moses says this, beginning in verse 17 of Numbers chapter 14. Moses says, and now I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great. God's just offered to wipe the children of Israel out because of their unbelief. But Moses said, let the power of my Lord be great according as you have spoken. Saying the Lord is long-suffering. And of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto a third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech you, Moses says, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of your mercy, and as thou hast forgiven these people from Egypt, even until now. Now, I want you to notice again what he says in verse 17 and 18. He talks about the power of God. Now, when we think about the power of God, usually when we talk about the power of God, we're talking about a healing, we're talking about a miracle, we're talking about some sign or some wonder that we can step back and say, wow. But notice that Moses talks about the power of God unto long suffering. Moses says it takes God's great power to be great in mercy and forgive and to put up with people that are rebellious Now, you know what happens at the end of this story. They go into the wilderness and spend 40 years there. I wonder, the Bible never says anything about it, but I just wonder how many times during that 40 years, Moses steps back and says, I should let him go. I should have let God wipe these people out. All they've done is murmured and complained. All they've been is a headache to me. Maybe I made the wrong choice. But Moses never stopped being long-suffering toward the people either. So what does Israel do? Well, God gives Moses some instruction. Verse 20, the Lord said, I, I have pardoned according to your word. In other words, he says, Moses, I've forgiven him just because you said so. I have pardoned according to your word, but as truly as I live, God says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, this is a a phrase, we've talked about it before, but you may not be aware of it. Maybe you weren't here or whatever. The phrase, as truly as I live, is oftentimes, it seems to me, looked at as just kind of a filler statement. But God's really saying something here. He says, as truly as I live. Well, think about that for a minute. How truly does God live? It's talking about his character, it's talking about his nature, it's talking about his goodness. When he says as truly as I live another translation says but it is as the oracle of God which means it's a never changing law it means it's eternal and that's how God lives God lives eternally God lives without change without even a hint of change so when he says when God says as truly as I live he's saying mark this down this will be and will always be according to what I'm saying here he says uses the phrase as truly as I live the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord now that's as close as God can come to swearing by himself that's as close as he can come to saying here's how you know this is true he swears by himself and says as truly as I live this is an eternal unchanging thing The glory of the Lord will fill the earth. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
1: And then when they began to sing praises, that's an indication to me that they believe something was already done, as far as God was concerned. That's an indication to me that they're thanking God for the end of their captivity, so that they can reach the people God wanted to reach.
0: Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.